Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Political intrigue, a great divide between the rich and the poor, international conflicts, natural disasters, a rejection of biblical values, calls for revival and repentance. You might think I'm talking about 21st century America, but I'm actually talking about the 6th century B.C. when Jeremiah lived, when Jeremiah preached, when Jeremiah was called. The people to which Jeremiah was sent to preach to and minister, they were looking for security in politics and in international treaties. They were looking for uh, hope in their financial security. They were looking for things that they felt like they had, but they had rejected the right of God to rule over them. And so God raised up a prophet, a man by the name of Jeremiah, and he sent them, sent to them Jeremiah to preach to them truth, to preach to them a message of repentance, to call them to respond to the good news of what God was telling them. See, before our very eyes, as we're watching our country, as we're watching all the events that surround us, before our very eyes, we're witnessing the disintegration of American culture. And more importantly, we're witnessing the rejection of a biblical worldview in our country. A few weeks ago, I was reading uh, part of Francis Schaeffer's works. I read a book that he had written entitled Death in the City. Death in the city is a reflection of Jeremiah's prophecies in both the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations. Uh, Francis Schaeffer wrote this regarding our American culture. He said, but it is more than this. The whole culture has shifted from Christian to post-Christian. He writes with an exclamation point, do not take this lightly. It is a horrible thing for a man like myself to look back and see my country and my culture go down the drain in my own lifetime. It is a horrible thing that 60 years ago you could move across the country and almost everyone, even non-Christians, would have known what the gospel was. A horrible thing that 40 to 50 years ago our culture was built on the Christian consensus and now we are in an absolute minority. It's fascinating as Francis Schaeffer penned those words in the 1970s. He was writing at a time more than 50 years ago, or nearly 50 years ago. And as we look back at our age now, we're even further removed from that Christian consensus and that Judeo-Christian foundation, and we're living in an age that may not be post-Christian in the sense of how we identify ourselves. Still, more than a majority of our people in America identify themselves as Christians, But in terms of values, in terms of morality, in terms of ethics, and in terms of the way we behave, we are certainly post-Christian. What's fascinating to me, and I think helpful to all of us, is that this is not the first era of human history that faces such challenges and problems. The group of people that God sent Jeremiah to was operating in a time where they should have had biblical values. They should have been living by biblical principles, but they were operating in a morality and in an ethic that was completely different than what they had been taught from the Old Testament. 
They had chosen idols rather than God. They had decided they were going to live by their own values rather than God's choices and God's decisions for them. And so God raised up a prophet to speak to them in an era in which they needed a return to biblical truth and a biblical foundation. So we find ourselves in the book of Jeremiah in a place where we can see not only the the interaction between us and the biblical text, but we can see the overlap and we can find some lessons and find some things that will help us understand not only the way where we're living, but how we respond to where we're living. One of the challenges of the, the preacher, one of the challenges of the church, is to make sure that we see the connection between biblical truth and contemporary culture. And the book of Jeremiah is a fascinating overlap for us as Christians, to see where we are and see where we need to go and how we respond. Let's look at a few things in the book of Jeremiah. For those of you that understand biblical history, you'll notice that Jeremiah is 52 chapters long. So there's a little bit of fear when the pastor says he's going to preach a sermon series through the book of Jeremiah. How many weeks are we going to be in this wonderful book? Not 52, I can assure you. We're not going to preach verse by verse through the book. So what I'm going to do today is open up and talk about Jeremiah as a whole. We'll read a passage of Scripture out of the book of Jeremiah and out of the book of Lamentations, which is his weeping and lament for the people of Israel. And then over the course of the next 12 to 16 weeks or so, we'll unpack several of the chapters and the themes as we look at how this wonderful book overlaps with our culture and gives us a way for us to address the things that are going on around us. So if you will, read with me the first three verses of the book of Jeremiah. It sets, us, it sets the context. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign, came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now, if you have, your t- if you have some time, skip over to the book of Lamentations, the very next book in the Bible, Let's read the first verse of Jeremiah's lament. He wrote, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become, she who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. What we discover if we connect those two introductory sets of verses is that Jeremiah lived during a time initially of prosperity, initially of spiritual reformation, but then through a time period where the kings returned to their idolatries, the people returned to their immoralities, and instead of following God and listening to Jeremiah's message, they rejected God, they rejected Jeremiah's message, and they ended up in destruction and judgment. Josiah was the last good king of the people of Judah. And remember, after Solomon, his son Rehoboam made some very foolish leadership decisions and the kingdoms of the north rejected the line of David. And so they set up their own kingdoms, the kingdoms of Israel. 
And there were no good kings in the kingdom of Israel. There were none that followed God, none that repented, none that turned the people of God to the word of God. But in the kingdom of Judah, there were several good kings after the line of Rehoboam. There were several that obeyed God, that returned the people of God to worshiping God. Hezekiah was one of those good kings. But Josiah was the last one. His ministry, his time of reformation and revival was the last time that the people of Judah went back to God's word and said, we're going to obey God and we're going to do what's right. And Jeremiah's ministry began during that period of reformation. During that period when the people of God, at least on the outside, turned back to God. Uh, But Josiah made some poor leadership decisions, got involved in a war that was not his to fight in between between, uh, Egypt and and Babylon, and he got involved in that battle, and Josiah wound up dead. His son Jehoiakim took over, returned the people of God to their idolatries, and then after that, God raised up Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon to bring judgment to the people of Judah for their sins and their wickedness. Jeremiah, in the book of Lamentations, is weeping over the fact that the city that he lived in, the city that he preached in, the city that he went in front of the kings and begged them to return to God, was a city that was empty. A city that had no people in it. A city that had experienced the judgment of God. What can we learn from this wonderful book? Jeremiah teaches us three lessons. Three lessons that really form the title of the sermon series. First of all, Jeremiah teaches us that we need to be authentic. Authentic. In in the Sistine Chapel painted by Michelangelo, in that beautiful fresco, that beautiful ceiling that he painted with all the many, many different biblical images, he painted Jeremiah with his head down and his head in his hands Weeping. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He wept over the sins of the people. In fact, we're going to discover throughout the book that Jeremiah is one of the most real and authentic preachers that you're ever going to find in, the, in biblical history. Jeremiah is not someone who came across as flighty. He's not someone who comes across as, uh, as everything's going great and everything's going wonderful. Over and over again, we discover that Jeremiah is sad and sorrowful. He's heartbroken. He's devastated. He's in despair. Why is he in despair and in devastation? Because God spoke to him as a teenage boy, and we'll discover this next week in the sermon, he called him out of his teenage youthfulness and said, I'm going to send you to preach to a people who are going to reject your message. And if you look at the timeline of Jeremiah's ministry and his messages, he preached for over 40 years with essentially no converts. Jeremiah's message is, Jeremiah's life and ministry is a ministry of faithfulness, not fruitfulness. So there's no wonder that Jeremiah would spend a great portion of his ministry weeping. Not only weeping over the rejection of God's word by the people that he preached to, but weeping over the persecution that he faced individually. There were times where he was, his life was sought out. There were times where the kings were about to put him to death. There were times where he spent days in a cistern, lowered in a well. Jeremiah teaches us to be authentic. 
Why is that? What, what does that mean for us? Well, for starters, it means that our world no, does not need any more fake news. Our world does not need any more politicians who slight uh, the truth. Our world does not need any more false theology or faux preachers. There are enough people out in Jeremiah, there were enough people out in Jeremiah's day that were shading the truth, that were avoiding what was real and what mattered, and there are enough people around our world today that are only in it for their own benefit, they're only in it for their own name recognition, they're only in it for their own glory, they're only in it for their own pocketbooks being filled up. And I'm not just talking about politicians, and I'm not just talking about business people. I'm talking about preachers and teachers of God, supposed preachers and teachers of God's Word, who are false and who are faux and who are mistaken. And our world doesn't need any more of those. What Jeremiah's day needed was an authentic preacher of God's Word. What our world needs today are authentic Christians. Christians who don't walk around like everything's okay. Christians who don't walk around like everything's under control. Christians who walk around like God is on His throne and like He rules. And sometimes that means we're broken and we're hurting and we're in pain. Jeremiah was not afraid to be vulnerable. Jeremiah was not afraid to complain. Jeremiah was not afraid to be honest and admit his despair and admit his discouragement. And yet, what did he continue to do? He continued to preach the truth of God's word over and over and over again. Why? Because he was authentic. He was authentic. He was authentic because he was broken. I want you to get this. We just finished a sermon series on prayer. And three times in the book of Jeremiah, God spoke to Jeremiah and said, do not pray for the people of Judah. Do not intercede on their behalf. Don't ask me to stay my hand of judgment. Why would God say such a, an amazing thing to Jeremiah? Because God knew that the people that he was preaching to weren't going to listen. God knew that the people that he was begging to respond to truth weren't going to listen. And so God said, it's no use praying for this people that are stubborn and that are willfully rebellious and that are idolatrous. I'm not going to hear you because they're not going to hear me. No wonder Jeremiah wept. No wonder Jeremiah was broken. No wonder Jeremiah went through difficulty. Uh, he was authentic and he teaches us that what our world needs is authenticity from the body of believers. It needs people who are willing to look around and see things for what they are and not be afraid to be open and honest, not be afraid <clears throat> even to be vulnerable. In his book, Death in the City, um, Francis Schaeffer observes two things, two reactions that we should have to a culture that is running away from God. The first reaction is this. He says, we should weep at the destruction of sinners and the destruction of our nature and nation and culture. Let me tell you something, folks. As Christians, when we look around us, we have a tendency to complain and to argue and to get mad and to get frustrated. And sometimes what we do is we take out our complaints and our frustrations and our angers through social media. And we take it out through platforms, through maybe even, maybe we don't share it with everybody else, but we share it with our spouse or with our children or with our grandchildren. And I'm going to tell you something that's not entirely fruitful. 
You know what we need more than we need our anger at the world around us? We need our tears at the world around us. We need to look at all the wickedness and the lies and the depravity and the unrighteousness that, by the way, as we work through the book of Jeremiah, we're going to see the sins of the nation, the people of God, Israel, Judah. We're going to see the sin, those sins and we're going to be able to lay them over top of the sins that are so prevalent in our country today. And you know what we need to do when we see those sins? We need to be broken and we need to weep. And we need to cry out over the brokenness and the depravity and the sinfulness that is around us. Folks, if God is going to use us to make a difference in the lives of those that are around us, He's going to use us as authentic followers of Jesus who are broken by the sins that we see. Just this week, I've had a chance to talk to some church members and talk to some people connected to church members. You know what I heard in their voices? I heard tears. I heard weeping. I saw brokenness over the physical condition of those family members that are on the path toward death. And I saw brokenness over the spiritual condition of their family members who are on a path not just to physical death, but a path to eternal death. Folks, we need to be authentically brokenhearted over the condition of those that we see around us. A second... um, reaction that we need. Francis Schaeffer put it this way. He said, the second reaction that we should be aware of is that insofar the culture around us, the American culture, was built on biblical reformation thought and that the generations immediately preceding us have turned from that truth, there must be death in the city until there is a turning to that truth. Second reaction is this. That as we look around us and we see the open depravity, the unrighteousness, the values that are claimed by contemporary American culture that are so in discord with the values that God expects in His Word, then here's what we need to recognize. That there must be death and judgment. Because God is holy, holy, holy. It's where Jeremiah's second lesson comes in. Jeremiah teaches us that we need to be authentic, but Jeremiah also teaches us that we need to be prophetic. The world around us is full of unrighteousness and wickedness. See, Jeremiah was not just a man who wept over the internal rot that he witnessed and the external destruction that he experienced. Jeremiah was a prophet who declared truth to those who were rotting internally and declared God's hope to those who were awaiting destruction. What our world needs is not just someone who will shed a tear, but our world needs someone who will speak a truth. Our American culture needs Christians and preachers and followers of Jesus who are not afraid to look out at all of the depravity around us and say, God doesn't think that that's right. And say that God doesn't approve. And say that God is not happy with. And say that God will bring destruction to. We as followers of Jesus need to stop wallowing in our fears and be willing to speak the truth as God has given it to us from His Word. See, the prophets in the Old Testament were not just foretellers, they were forth-tellers. A lot of times when we think of the word prophecy, we think of someone being able to tell the future. 
Someone can look in the future and see what's going to happen next. Most of the time, that's not what Old Testament prophets did. Most of the time, they just foretold what God had already said. In other words, they revisited the first five books of the Bible, the, Deuteron- the, the law code, and they spoke what God had already said to the people that needed to change their behavior and change their attitudes. Now, many times, they did get to see in the future. God did give them insights into the future, and they foretold... But they also foretold what God had said, and that was their primary purpose. So does that mean you and I need to be foretellers? Do we need to be prophecy givers? Do we need to be prophets into the future? Do we need to say when the last days are coming or when Jesus is going to return? I don't think so. I don't think that's what Jeremiah teaches us when he teaches us that we need to be prophetic. I think it primarily means that we need to foretell what God has already said in His Word. But I will say this, we don't have to be geniuses. And we don't have to have specific, special spiritual insight to be able to take a snapshot look at the book of Jeremiah, see the wickedness and depravity that Judah embraced, see the unrighteousness that prevailed from the kings all the way down through the priests and the prophets, all the way through the people of God into the immorality and the idolatry that they so embraced. We don't have to look at that and then look at our American culture and, and, and be able to say, oh, hold on a second, God's going to give us a pass. No, I think if we look at the words of Jeremiah and we see the truths that are taught in this book, we will look out across our nation and recognize that judgment is coming. And we don't have to be prophets in the first sense, the foretelling sense, to see that judgment is coming. Warren Wearsby put it this way. He said, the big idea of the book of Jeremiah is that God is loving, but He is also just and will discipline those He loves when they sin. Francis Schaeffer described the judgment of God in Jeremiah like this. Unlike Zeus, whom men imagined hurling down great thunderbolts, God has turned away in judgment as our generation has turned away from Him. And He is allowing cause and effect to take its course in history. We may not see direct judgments of God through catastrophes and firebolts. We may. We may see that. What I think most, uh, uh, mostly we're going to see is that God allows us to live in the consequences of our own choices. As we have chosen to reject who God is, and as we have chosen lifestyles, and as we have chosen and embraced immorality, and a lack of ethics, and a lack of truth, then what God's going to do is say, okay, that's the life you want to live. Then you live by, by the consequences that are coming your way. You know what our world needs? What our culture needs? Needs a Christian voice that is prophetic that is willing to speak what God says as truth. Jeremiah not only teaches us to be authentic and to be prophetic, but Jeremiah teaches us to preach the gospel. Uh, some of you will be, uh, will be aware that the book of Jeremiah is a book of prophecy. Rightly, it fits in the Old Testament. It's one of the, he's one of the major prophets. His prophecy is extensive, 52 chapters long. In no way, shape, or form does Jeremiah preach the gospel if by the gospel what we were talking about is the events of the life 
and ministry and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, trace Jesus' birth and trace His ministry and trace His miracles, and ultimately and most poignantly, they trace His Passion Week, His death on a cross and His burial and His resurrection. Jeremiah doesn't deal with that. But I want to tell you something about the Bible. I want to tell you something about especially the books of prophecy. They don't neglect the good news. And we ought to be thankful that they don't neglect the good news. They might not get specifically into the details of Jesus' life and ministry and His death and His burial and His resurrection, but they point to that. And one of the things that I hope will come out in the book of Jeremiah is that the book of Jeremiah, while it is filled with prophetic utterances and and declarations of judgment, it is also full of hope and promises of restoration if the hearers will listen and will repent and will turn to God. Let me give you just a couple of quick examples. One is Jeremiah 25, 11. Jeremiah makes the prophecy that the people of Israel are going to go to Babylon under judgment and under exile, but 70 years later, they're going to return. You know what is beautiful? Uh, in a few books over, the prophet Daniel was praying. He would read the book of Jeremiah and he was praying over that passage of Scripture, recognizing that 70 years was near up. You know what God did? God affirmed His truth by sending the exiles back home. There's hope. There's assurance. There's some peace there. Not only that, but the new covenant is foreshadowed in the book of Jeremiah. In one of the prophecies in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 33 and 34, God is speaking to the prophet and He says this, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The days of judgment, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. What is Jeremiah preaching about? What's God revealing to him? He's revealing to him the new covenant. The new covenant that was experienced by the people of Israel when they were restored from exile. The new covenant that was brought by Jesus Himself when He came and He changed our hearts from a sinful heart to a redeemed and a forgiven heart. The the new covenant that promises a relationship with the living God. One of the things that the people of Israel had neglected was the, the, the privilege of knowing God. Jeremiah came preaching a message that would bring them new life and new relationship with the living God, the God who reigns and the God who rules. Get all the way over into Lamentations chapter 5. As Jeremiah is closing up this lament for the people of Israel, notice how he closes it. He says this, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. There's hope. Jeremiah teaches us to preach the gospel. He teaches us to tell people that there is a chance that you can be forgiven. That there is hope that you can be washed and cleansed from your sin. That there is an opportunity that no matter what you've done, no matter where you are, no matter where you've come from, you can be forgiven. Let me tell you something. That's a message we as the church of Jesus Christ need to be reminded of and need to hear over and over again. Do you realize that you're not worthy of receiving the grace and mercy of God? You're not worthy of receiving the forgiveness that was paid for by the blood of Jesus on a cross? None of us are worthy of that. 
None of us deserve that. None of us should get that. But bless God and thank the Lord Jesus Christ. At some point in your past and in my past as followers of Jesus, God reached down through His Holy Spirit and He spoke the truth to our hearts and He brought us to a place of repentance and confession and He brought us into a relationship with Himself. And you know what? We don't deserve it. But man, I'm glad I've received it. We need to be reminded of that, church. We need to be reminded of the blessing that it is to be a part of the family of God. To be forgiven and to be redeemed and to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to experience that. So church, let me issue you a challenge. We need to hear the words of Jeremiah. See, Jeremiah first preaches to the people of God. These are the people God redeemed. He called out from Egypt. He rescued These are His people. They had His covenant. They had His law. They had His word. So the messages of judgment that are preached by Jeremiah are first to the people of God. They're to the church. They're to us. We need to hear them. We need to heed them. We need to examine our own hearts for vestiges of idolatry and immorality and unrighteousness. And if it's there, bless God, we need to confess it and repent of it and turn. And we're going to hear that as we work through the book of Jeremiah. So here's the challenge to you, church. Will you pick up the book of Jeremiah, and as I'm preaching through this series, will you read it with me? Will you read it with me? Will you read it chapter by chapter? A good challenge would be, read a chapter a day. Uh, That'll get you about in line with where I'm going to preach through it, uh, week by week, a chapter a day through the book of Jeremiah. Now let me speak to those of you that may not be believers. Since Jeremiah preaches to us the gospel... What is the gospel? The gospel is that you are more sinful than you can imagine. God is more holy than you can dream. And you do not deserve a right to be in a relationship with the living God. But what God offers is you an opportunity to be forgiven and redeemed. He sent His Son Jesus Christ to die on a cross to pay for your sins and for my sins so that your sins can be washed, so that your sins can be cleansed, and so that you can enter into a relationship with the living God. He offers that to you. He offers that to me. And those of us that are in this room, in this worship service, and so many of us that are watching by way of Facebook or YouTube or Vimeo or on the television or listening on the radio, so many of us that are listening have received that good news of Jesus Christ, but some of you have not. Some of you are in the place of the people of Judah under Jeremiah's preaching. You've heard the truth. At some point in your life, you went to church. At some point in your life, you, you came to a vacation Bible school. some point in your life, you were in a Sunday school class. some point in your life, you heard a preacher preach. And you know what you've done? You've rejected that truth. You've not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to tell you something. God offers you an opportunity to receive forgiveness. God offers you the opportunity to be cleansed of your unrighteousness. To turn from your wickedness and to receive salvation. Eternal life. It's as simple as ABC. Admit, believe, and commit. If you'll admit that you're a sinner, and that was the problem with the people that Jeremiah preached to. They wouldn't admit that they had sinned. But if you'll admit that you've sinned, if you'll admit that you've rejected God, if you'll admit that your sinfulness keeps you from a relationship with a holy God, that's the first step on the pathway to trusting Jesus as your Savior. Admit, believe. What do we believe? We believe that Jesus Christ came and took our sins. 
that He died on a cross for our sins, that He rose from the dead so that we could have eternal life. And if we'll believe on Him, the Bible says, all who confess that Jesus is Lord will receive eternal life in Romans 10. And then if we'll commit. What is that? It's commit to following Jesus as Lord of your life. See, so many have maybe done partially the first two, but they're not willing to follow Jesus as Lord. Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Will you give your life to Jesus? Will you follow him as Lord? I was speaking to somebody this week, sharing with him the gospel. And you know what? They don't have a problem believing that Jesus died on a cross for them. But I'm not entirely sure that they've committed to following him as Lord. That Jesus is not master of their life. And that gives me pause about whether or not they're a follower of Jesus. They're, they're saved and they're forgiven. I'm not sure. I'm sure that where they are. And I'm continuing to pray for that person, actually those people that I talked to this week, to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. What I'm telling you right now is that if you know you're a sinner and need salvation, would you admit that you're a sinner? Would you believe in the Lord Jesus? And would you commit to following Him as your Lord? You could pray something like this in confession and commitment to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I can't save myself. I admit that, and I repent of my sins and turn to you. I I believe on you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead, that I may have eternal life. Lord Jesus, I don't know how, and I don't know all the decisions I need to make, but I do know this, I want to commit to following you. I want you to be Lord of my life. Will you save me, and will you forgive me? You pray something like that with your heart, believing in Jesus. You know what God will do? He will do exactly what He promised in Jeremiah chapter 31. He'll give you a new heart. He'll give you a new life. He'll make a covenant with you and let you know Him. Maybe you're watching and you're not sure that you've done that right or you're not sure how you want to talk to somebody. Listen, if you're in the comment section on Facebook, you let us know. If you're not in the comment section and don't want to comment that way, send us an email, info at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. Dot org. Excuse me, infowilksforbaptist.org. Send us an email. Get in touch with us. We'll be happy to share with you how you can make sure that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let me have a word of prayer. Our worship team is going to come. They're going to sing a song that says, Come to me. Jesus is inviting you to come to Him. Would you sing with us? Would you pray with us? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in this moment and we're thankful that Jeremiah... It was authentic, it was prophetic, and invites us to know the God who gives us the gospel. Lord God, I pray for those under the sound of my voice in this worship service. Pray for us as believers. Remind us, God, our need to seek you first, to repent of our unrighteousness, to turn to you. Lord God, remind us the glory of the gospel, the good news of Jesus that forgives us and washes us clean. Lord God, remind us of the joy that we can have in a relationship with you. And dear Father, for those others under the sound of my voice that have not put their faith and trust in you, maybe this is the first time they've heard the gospel, they're not ready to follow you yet. I pray, Lord, that you'd work in their hearts, you bring them to a place of conviction, confession and repentance, where they'll turn to you and they'll trust you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray for that one or those many that, that just now they want to pray that prayer to receive you as Lord and Savior. They want to turn to you. I pray, Lord, you give them the courage to do so. I pray, Lord, that you give them the calmness and the confidence that they put their trust in you. Lord, I pray that you would bring them to a faith relationship with the living God. 
And Father, I pray for those I've talked to this week and those that are on our prayer list that, that remain in that unsaved column on our prayer list. They haven't put their faith and trust in you yet. They've not confessed their sins. They've not repented. Lord, I pray for them. I pray that in this moment you would bring conviction to them. You would bring them the truth of the gospel. You'd help them to know that you love them more than they could ever imagine. And I pray, Lord, for their salvation, their forgiveness and their repentance and their turning to you. Lord God, I pray this having confidence that you want to redeem and save. We put them in your hands. We put this worship service in your hands. And Lord, we sing with faithfulness, acknowledging you want us to come to you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.